right, so welcome to Know It All, the podcast about National Novel Writing Month. I'm Carolyn. And I'm John. And today is day four. You should be at 6,667 words or 68. It doesn't matter. Either of those are good. How are you doing? I am doing terribly. All right. Um, but I'm working to catch up. I, I caught up like a decent amount today. I'm still at, I, I think I can get to up to 3000 today and I should be able to catch up even more tomorrow. Unfortunately, NaNoWriMo started right when we have our giant Halloween party. Uh-huh. So the beginning of it was just absolutely nothing. Just a whole <laughs> Not lot of nothing. But you can get there. Yeah. Or you can get somewhere. Yeah, I can definitely get somewhere. That's what I keep telling myself. <laughs> so what is your project? Um, So I am... In addition to being a teacher, I am a game developer, um, an indie game developer, who for the past several years I've been writing and developing a setting for the Savage Worlds rule set that's a fantasy world based on indigenous Native American history. Oh, sweet. So it has a lot of the familiar elements that anyone who's played Dungeons and Dragons or similar games is going to know. It's going to have your elves and your dwarves and goblins and dragons, but it's also going to have a lot of stuff that is going to be a little bit new, and it's going to really be based in a different way of sort of looking at and interacting with the world. Uh, really requires you to to think about where you are and where you're setting. The setting really becomes an additional character in a way that it's almost never there in most RPGs that I've played. You know, most mm-hmm. of the time it's like we are in a generic quasi-European place. Sometimes there's a forest, sometimes there's a swamp, but, you know, no one really cares too much about what it's like. There are, you know, huge nations, there are empires, there are city-states, there's all sorts of great stuff. And unfortunately, I've had to take a step back from the game development lately but I've been using uh, short story writing and now NaNoWriMo to try exploring the setting more. And it's been really helpful because it's made me think about the world not from the high, high level of a game developer where I'm creating a world that other people are going to go and tell stories in. But I'm thinking of it on the opposite end of a single character interacting with it. And that's actually really, really helped. Like, I've made huge changes to the game just because I came up with a cool character idea for the main character of these stories that I've written. And that's spiraled into a change in perspective on how to fit some of the world elements together that I think has really helped the game. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. So this is like a narrative thing and not an instructional. Yes. No, this is 100% narrative. I am thinking about game mechanics in the sense of I don't want to write things that are explicitly violations of mechanics that I have written. <laughs> right. You know? I, I've always been annoyed when I've picked up like a D&D book and I'm reading about one of the main characters. And I'm like, this is literally impossible to create. <laughs> Not just like this is a level 20 character that you're saying is an apprentice wizard, but this is impossible. It does not work that way. You know, that's always been a a big pet peeve of mine. I understand that protagonists in stories are going to be exceptional, but there's a difference between exceptional and violating the main rules of how your world is supposed to work. So how do you make it clear in your narrative what those rules are? Uh, I try to 
So part of it is I do, when I'm developing the characters that I use, the main and the supporting characters, I do try and almost in my head kind of build them as characters in the game. You know, Mm -hmm. I don't have character sheets for them that you can look at, but I can look at them and say, oh, you're going to have these couple abilities, definitely. You're going to have these couple. And I try and, because I I think through that lens of role-playing games, I'm very used to the idea of a character has done a thing. I should record that they did that thing so that I remember it in the future. Right. You know, that's just the idea of making this laundry list of character abilities and advantages and disadvantages is something that I'm very, very used to. Whereas someone (laughs) who's just a normal fiction writer might not think that way. Yeah. So do you have advice for fiction writers? Should they be doing that? I think everyone should play role-playing games, first of all. It's just full stop. I, I think that we are in a great time right now where D&D 5th Edition is incredibly easy for anyone to pick up. In previous years, I would have said that if you want to try out an RPG and you and your friends have never, ever played them before, it's going to be really challenging to just try and start from zero and really have a lot, a lot of fun. But... That is no longer the case now. There are so many amazing games out there that will give you so much inspiration. And there's so many podcasts and live streams of RPGs to get an idea of just this is kind of sort of how they work. Mm-hmm. And the experience of the game is telling me sort of how I should think about what my characters are doing and what they're able to do and how they might interact with each other. On some levels, it's limiting, but on some levels, it forces you to make sure that you're maintaining consistency throughout your narrative. You know, if your character at level one has the heal spell, it doesn't make sense that, you know, two chapters later, they are unable to heal someone who is dying in front of them. It's like, but wait a minute, you just healed that guy like three chapters ago. If you were at a game table and that sort of thing happened everyone at that table would be really kind of annoyed at you that like you can clearly heal someone and you're not going to do it, especially if that's a fellow player. The other thing that at least the, the game design aspect has given me is when I have been developing the setting, I sort of created these completely arbitrary limitations on how much I would write because it's always easy to write more. Mm-hmm. You know, it's always easy to give more detail, to give, to make more stuff, to put more things in there. And for a role-playing game, you still want there to be empty spaces that a GM and that players can add to on their own. So I broke the world into regions. I made sure that every region had a certain number of cities and a certain number of special locations. And the descriptions I would write for those would always be of a certain length. And those limitations kind of forced me to make sure that I would find this middle ground between density of information and not completely technical writing. That's a really good suggestion, yeah. Yeah, so with the way that I've organized my writing for NaNoWriMo this year, that's kind of what I did. I said it's like, okay, well, it's 50,000 words. I'm a math teacher, so I I think in terms of divisibility and everything now. So it's like, okay – Um, Let's take 50,000 words and divide that into four parts. Each part is going to be five chapters. So that turns out to be 2,500 words per chapter. And that now just forces me to make sure that if I am writing something, I am making things happen. Because 2,500 words is not a lot, really. (laughs) 
So if I am writing and I'm like, oh, this is great and I'm having fun describing this random scene or this random thing and it's like, oh, but you know what? I just wrote a thousand words and nothing happened in it. That's bad. <laughs> That's really bad. So have you been cutting as you go? Um, So far, well, again, I have only have like 2,000 words written right now. So I have not run into that yet. It's both good and bad that I will constantly check my word count as I am writing, <laughs> um, which is probably a terrible habit. But it means that I'm like, oh, okay, I am at this point in this chapter. Okay, yeah, no, this this pace seems okay. It seems like I should probably be able to get this these other things to happen in the chapter as I'm writing. That's great. Wonderful. And yeah, so so far it's been pretty good. I haven't really had to cut things yet. But again, I'm very early on in the process. <laughs> I'm sure that will change. So would you would you count those words toward your nano goal? Or I would you in the past not? I have not. In the past I have not. I only count words that are like in the document right now. I, I, I do like keep track of things on the official website for it and I always update with what the current word count is. Mostly mm-hmm. because there's a hotkey for that in Google Docs. So Ooh. that's an, so so yeah, it's 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 control shift C and it instantly shows me this is how many words are in your document. I'm all, I'm cheating a little bit because I have things like chapter titles and whatnot, but like I I think everyone does that, so I think that's fair. Yeah, that's fine. And it's unless yeah, you have I'm a long, long, long chapter title. Subtract out. It's like okay, wait. Here are the words in all of my chapter titles. No, that's stupid. That's insane. That's silly. Oh, cool. Okay, well we're gonna take a little break, and you at home can go write and catch up, and we'll be right back. And we're back. So tell me about food and writing. Okay, so I love food. I absolutely love food. Before I got anything resembling a quote-unquote real job, you know, using my degree and all that, um, every single job I had, with the exception of working at a Rite Aid for like six months, was a food industry job. It was either waiting tables or doing prep work, briefly uh, making pizzas, line cooks, stuff like that, whatever. That's everything that I worked was was food in one form or another. It wasn't a planned thing. It just sort of happened that way. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I watch a lot of food shows and I find it amusing that like every single chef who goes on there when they ask, like, where did you get your love of food from? And it's always like, oh, my mom or my grandma or this or that. It's like, no, it's my mother was a terrible cook. She cooked like six things, mediocre at best. What made me love food was getting to work at this place called Branley's Pizzeria when I was like 16. And it was amazing. I got to, even though I grew up Italian, my mother was not a very, you know, adventurous eater. My father literally eats like seven food items and that's it. (laughs) And they're all terrible. So I never really got exposed to too much food growing up. But then I started working there. And the guys who worked on the line just really liked me. So when I wanted stuff for dinner, we didn't have like a house meal that we would do. We didn't do anything like that. Just everyone took their breaks when they could. So if I asked for it, they would just say it's like, yeah, we can do that or no, we can't. And there were sort of unwritten rules that we worked out between each other. So like that's where I had Galama for the first time. That's where I learned how to cook all of this stuff. And it just sort of went out from there. I've always loved cooking ever since. And food, for me at least, activates so much sense memory 
And it's so easy with so few words to immediately give an experience to a reader that way. You know, if I say the word popcorn, you immediately have a sound, you have a smell, you have a taste, you have an atmosphere because you always eat popcorn only under really certain conditions, (laughs) you know. So it's a really easy way to completely give a reader so much detail very, very easily. Even if you're using unfamiliar dishes, like if you're writing sci-fi, you're going to be doing things with foods and animal products and plant products that don't exist. Mm -hmm. But if you are able to connect it to food that does exist in some way, then you're still going to be able to do that, right? There's a reason that Luke Skywalker drinks blue milk. We all know what milk tastes like, and we might not know what blue milk tastes like, but it's still going to activate something in our brains. Mm -hmm. So I I absolutely love it. And for, for this project that I've been working on now, I've been doing a huge amount of research into indigenous foodways. And the wonderful thing is by a weird random coincidence, there are a huge number and it's growing so quickly, a number of indigenous chefs who are doing everything they can to bring forward and share with one another primarily, but also with the wider non-indigenous community even, all of this indigenous cooking lore that for the most part has been lost, especially in North America. You know, what we think of as Mexican food is like at least 50, if not 70 to 80 percent indigenous anyway. You know, tacos do not exist in Spain. You know, anything that is made with a tortilla is indigenous food at its core, even if it has non-indigenous ingredients in it now. But in North America, if you think about it, what is indigenous food? Most people don't even know. And if they're lucky, maybe they know what fry bread is. (laughs) And that's really about it. And fry bread is, in that community, a very questionable thing because it's 100% comes from being oppressed and drawn onto reservations. It doesn't exist without that. So for me, I, I at least try and maintain certain rules that because I want this to be an indigenous world, I have forced myself to get rid of certain things that just 100% do not in any way exist on these continents. You know, so that means no wheat, that means no barley, no rye. Most of the cereal grains are just gone. It means no dairy. Uh, There's lots of things that you take away, but there's also lots of things that are still there that we might not normally think of. Uh, For example, potatoes, even though they are the most, quote unquote, most Irish food ever, remember, they come from South America. Tomatoes and basically every nightshade food comes from here. So you still have your tomatillos, you still have ground cherries, you still have so many other things from that world. Uh, Quinoa and other related cereal grains are American. And even though quinoa is South American, it has a lot of closely related grains that are North American and were part of North American agriculture for a long time. You have the Three Sisters, obviously, corn, beans, and squash, and all of their many varieties. And there are still lots of analogs to things that we're used to. For anyone who's interested in exploring indigenous food specifically, I would definitely recommend Sean Sherman's book, The Sioux Chef. Ha ha, it's a terrible <laughs> pun. I like it. Oh, no. um, it. It won the James Beard Award last year for Best New American Cookbook. So it's got it's got cred. And it's really great for someone who just wants to try this stuff out in a normal kitchen. It really helps you 
If you are a standard person who has access to normal, quote unquote, American ingredients, you can cook out of this book. You do not have to really step that far out of your comfort zone to try some really amazing food. It's really fun to just put all of those bits in there and build these scenes about that, even to the point that my main character is a traveling chef. Because of course he is. Of course. I mean, he's a traveling chef with a sword. <laughs> and he's cursed with an evil thing living inside of him, but he's still a traveling cook. When I was pregnant, the only thing I could write about was food. I didn't write very much, but everything was food. So I ended up with this short story that got published, and I ended up with a novel where I learned to make pie and just so much food writing and so much about it getting stuck to your fingers and what it really feels like. And when you get in there and actually learn how to make these things that you kind of take for granted, you learn to appreciate it a little bit more. Yeah. And that kind of shows in the writing, even if you don't step by step, write it out. Right. Yeah. Well, where can people find you? So right now I have my Facebook page, John Giordano. There's also a page for the game itself, even though I'm not terribly active there lately. Uh, Trip Hammer Games is the company name. We're also on Facebook there. Uh, I'm on the NaNoWriMo website. Seeker John, that's it. S-E-E-K-E-R John. And I live in Rochester, New York. I'm trying to become more more a part of the, the writing community there when, you know, teaching allows time for that, which is basically never... <laughs> um, you can find me on Twitter at Carrie in the Hits and on NanoRimo at Carrie in the Hits. And I have a website with a blog that's called 20percenttrue.blogspot.com. And happy writing, everyone! Happy writing! <laughs> <laughs>